Hello, and welcome to the Simple Christmas Podcast. This podcast is a series of episodes where we'll be unpacking how we can create margin for the things that matter the most to us, that actually bring fulfillment and joy during the Advent season. I am your host, Fabian Gonzalez, and throughout these episodes, I will be in conversation with a variety of people. We'll move through different areas of our homes and lives, the kitchen, the closet, the living room, and our bank accounts as we explore what it looks like to create margin for the things, experiences, people that we sometimes crowd out through the excess that this season and our culture in general sucks us into. Our hope is that these conversations will give you tangible tools that you can use to grow and experience fullness. So this week, we're talking about the kitchen. And today I'm talking to Becca about how to create margin in the kitchen. Hey, Becca, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi guys, I'm Becca Boren. Not I almost said Gonzalez. Uh, I'm Becca Boren. That's funny. Um, I was brought in. Krista would not like that. No. Hi, Krista. You're one of my best friends. I love you. Um, Also, I was brought into this podcast because I, like Fabian, am a young person who listens to a lot of podcasts. And I also really love Christmas and get excited about just spending this time together. And um, I think the series is going to be really fun to unpack. Um, And so I wanted to start off by asking you a question, Fabian. When you were introducing it, you kept using this word called margin. And I don't think that that's a word we use very often in our everyday language. What is margin? So uh, I, I first encountered the, the word margin, at least in the spiritual sense, uh, actually probably through listening to like spiritually oriented podcasts. Not really, the kind of podcasts I listen to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really, it's the idea of um, creating space in your life. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, those of you who ha- have really reflected on COVID and kind of how that changed our lives, maybe one of the things you might have said to yourself is, oh, this created more time for me to spend with my Mm. family. Something like something, you know, that we would consider margin is actually getting time to sit around the dinner table with your family. Because many times, you know, if you have kids, you're running around so much that maybe most of your dinners look like grab and go. And then you leave with one kid while your, you know, spouse leaves with the other kid. Mm. Margin is really just creating that space to be together or creating that opening for, something, you know, special that isn't typical of your routine. So that's kind of what we mean with margin. It can be very abstract sometimes, but creating that space. Interesting. It's interesting when you say creating space, um, because when I hear the word margin, I think about the margins of a book. Mm. And I, one of the things that I teach our youth is how to write in our Bibles. And, and typically that takes place in the margins. And so the margin is where we have time, where we have space. And it's also in that time and space that we create something or that we engage with something. So I think that that's Pretty cool. And yeah. I just figured that would be good for everyone to be on the same page about. Yeah, the book one helps, actually. I didn't even think about it that way because you, when you have margins in a book, you're able to engage and dialogue with the author. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's not just, you know, the author filling the entire page with their own words, but it's the author saying, hey, why don't you join in the conversation? So Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's a good good way to talk about margin. Okay, so uh, how were your holidays? Let's Let's just begin with a little... How are your holidays? Yeah, I my family tends to do Thanksgiving really big. Um, so I always talk about my mom. She kind of adopts the strays. Mm. So if you don't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving, you're coming over to my house and I will invite 
anybody. I've invited awesome. friends from college. I've invited friends that I haven't heard from in a long time, significant other families. Like it doesn't matter. Anybody is welcome at our holidays. And this year, uh, we didn't have that many people need a place to go. So it was kind of just my immediate family, which was cool because it's not something that we typically do. Yeah. But it was quieter. It was quieter. Yeah, that's kind of how ours uh, was. So Chris and I went on vacation to Florida Ugh, I know. before, I you which guys. was which was which was nice. We needed we needed some time uh, to ourselves, and uh, we immediately, as soon as we got in, we drove the next day to Wisconsin. So we were in Florida one day, and the next day we were on a in a car for eight hours or so going and to Wisconsin. And describe how you were sitting in oh, the car. Oh, packed like sardines. Yeah, with these, your dog on the lap. Yes, yeah. these modern cars are not as comfortable as they should be. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we've gotten to the point where that's a separate thing, but we can have better car seat technology. Just throwing <laughs> it out there. Um, so yeah, we went to Wisconsin and it was nice because, uh, so we were there, Krista's immediate family. So that'd be me, her brother, her mom, her dad, and the dog, of course. Uh, he's immediate family. Uh, so we were there and it was Krista's grandparents and that's it. And then on Thanksgiving Day, some of her extended family came over, but they live about an hour away. So once you know we were done hanging out throughout the day, people started leaving and we were back again to Krista's immediate family and her grandparents, which was really nice because it felt like we got some good one-on-one time with them, um, mm. which is which is always good. You created margin to have one-on-one time with your family. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. We had some fun <laughs> moments. We uh, we did a lot of puzzles. Uh, we had done. a puzzle competition where uh, there were two really difficult puzzles, and one group was trying to finish one, and the other group was trying to finish another, and we raced. Um, I know you and Krista pretty well. Did this create arguments? <laughs> no, the ping pong did though. <laughs> okay, she was the mad because yes, she was mad because I was serving really uh, hard serves for her to return, and she didn't like that. So <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, so the holidays were great. We hope your holidays were good as well. And if you're listening into the future, uh, this conversation is centered around the Advent season because it's one of those times when that excess seems to be more present. Mm. Uh, But this isn't just an Advent season conversation. This is just in general, our lives, how we can create that margin in in everyday moments. But uh, this conversation is based on an Advent sermon series at Good Shepherd in Kansas City, Missouri. So before we dive into the conversation, we're going to give a quick sermon summary to help us have a framework for the ideas that we'll be unpacking. So I was at the Gladstone campus and I heard Kayla preach uh, how to create margin in the kitchen, which was the topic for this week. And one of my main takeaways uh, or something that spoke to me or even challenged me, I would say, was she talked about how Sometimes we are so busy or our lives are so filled or the people that work in the kitchen, uh, they get so overwhelmed with the kitchen work because we have this mentality that I'm the only one that can do X because mm. I will do it the best. And for me, as someone who, Ooh. if anybody's an Enneagram, you know, people here, I'm a one. Yep. So um, perfectionism and being in control of the situation, I do that a lot at home. I will take on so many tasks at our house mm-hmm. and never ask for help because I believe I'm the only one that can do it the best. So that really challenged me and how to create margin by giving things away so that other people can also help 
so that you don't have to be the only one doing it. And then you can actually have the margin for the things that matter. So that was one takeaway that I had. Well, what was your takeaway, Becca? Well, I think you've been talking just like a little bit bigger when we look at the kitchen. And um, I was at my mom's house and her kitchen, we had all the windows open despite it being 38 degrees outside because it gets hot in the kitchen, yeah, right? It does. There's a lot of people and when we when we think about food, this is a place where people gather because we center a lot of our lives around when we're going to eat and what we're going to eat. And so when we start stripping away some of those things that um create so much heat in the kitchen or um, the reasons why we have to spend so much time preparing these meals instead of enjoying them together, um, stripping away that excess to figure out what actually happens. Uh, I was at the North Oak campus and I was listening to Brian and he was speaking about how his family decided to have an unconventional Thanksgiving this year. No turkey, no mashed potatoes, no gravy. I thought that was hilarious um, as a vegetarian because yeah. <laughs> I don't have turkey anyway. Um, but they decided that they were going to do something different. And they kept going back and forth on what that different was going to be. They all agreed no turkey, but they couldn't agree what to do instead of said turkey. Uh. Um, and they just kept going back and forth. And it seemed like such a stressful conversation. And I couldn't help but start to wonder, what would the holidays look like if we just stopped trying to please everyone all of the time? Mm. When we try to get this like universal, unanimous agreement on we are going to have pasta for Thanksgiving instead, like how much time and energy and stress we really do create by trying to cater and please everyone. I thought that was kind of just a really interesting conversation that we had there. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I, t- I took it from the one perspective, Enneagram one perspective of, you know, being in control, but that sounds like sort of an Enneagram two kind of, yes. uh, you know, struggle of trying to please people. So then you yep. fill your life up with so many events or things or opinions that it's hard to crowd out that excess and then you don't have margin for the things that matter because you're spent worrying. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great. As an Enneagram too, I related (laughs) a lot to what you were trying to say because you were talking about how I have to do this because I can do it the best. And, uh, at Enneagram too, I believe our, our fatal flaw is pride because I want to help you. So I'm doing it. It seems really selfless, but in reality, it's because I believe that I'm the best one to be able to help you. (laughs) So when my sister at the end of dinner stands up and starts doing the dishes I was like wait a second I have to help do the dishes because I have to help you and that was just it's funny to see our personalities my sister's an Enneagram 8 Uh. so it's really interesting to see those personalities play together on holidays Well, now we're going to take a closer look to dive some deep into some key ideas into the discussion of this overall arching message by asking the question, who belongs at the table? And that key word really being belonging. So when Fabian and I were meeting before this podcast, when we started to talk about what we wanted to spend our time discussing, we started talking about the Last Supper mm. and this quintessential picture that we all have in our minds of Jesus at the center of the table with all of the 12 disciples around him. And I think this is really interesting. I've been to the upper room in Jerusalem and it's massive. It's a huge room. Mm. And one of the things that um, our tour guide taught us is that it likely was not just the 12 disciples there. There was Mary Magdalene was likely there, Mary, the mother of Jesus, all of their friends, all of their family, because Passover was a massive holiday. It was like our Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, But at this table that we see in this painting, you have 
James and John, who are the disciples that are Jesus's brothers, who he loves, who he's grown up with and and deeply, deeply cares about. But you also have Peter, who's going to deny him the very next day three times. You have Thomas, who's not going to believe him when he says he's going to come back to life. And then you also have Judas, who is ultimately going to betray Jesus. And yet he gets to take part in this meal that Mm. Jesus has. Yeah, I the image of the when you were when you we kind of brought that up in conversation. It's such a powerful idea that there was belonging for every person mm-hmm. in that moment, regardless of what their future held. And even though Jesus had, you know, this idea of what things would happen and even mentioned it to uh, you know, he mentioned to Peter, like, you're gonna betray me and he, you know, at the table, it's recorded him talking about, you know, there's someone here that will betray me and everybody's like, oh, who is it going to be? Uh, right. You know, uh, so uh, deny me is what he said to Peter, not betray me. Sorry. Theological Yeah, I got to get my thing straight. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's just a beautiful picture of really this idea that we're talking about um, when it comes to the kitchen and uh, the belonging that happens at the kitchen. How do we in our lives, in our kitchen spaces, mm. in our tables, at, at our tables, uh, create belonging for every person regardless of where they are um, on said topic or said journey of life mm. or uh, where they're going and being able to just say, you know, you belong even if uh, X is true about you. I think that's a beautiful, challenging thing. Um, one of the things that we talk about in Methodist theology uh, yes. is is this idea of the open table. Uh, and we invite, are open to anybody coming to receive communion. So when we mm-hmm. remember this moment that Jesus had with his disciples and as you have said, everybody else that was in the room. Everyone else. This, uh, something that's funny is, it's a side note, I thought about this earlier. It's interesting that all the depictions are a table with everybody on one side of the table. Mm-hmm. It's so inaccurate. Because it's oh, like, God, how, do you, how do you talk to people without like, <laughs> like not hurting your neck? You know? Absolutely. <laughs> like, no, most likely what was happening was, you know, there were some people reclining, some people, you know, in other spots, this big open room. Regardless, going back to the open table idea, uh, it's this idea in in our theology as as a Methodist that what matters where the magic happens is in coming to the table, mm-hmm. not in the thing that should have happened before you come to the table. And it's this way of flipping the idea of belonging is that you belong regardless, immediately. Like there's that belonging because of who you are. You're inherently a human being Mm -hmm. created by God. And that's it. Like you belong because of that reason. Um, And so I love that we practice this, this idea of this open table, because it's it's awesome to see, you know, some of the oldest in the congregation to some of the youngest Mm -hmm. in the congregation, uh, you know, and in our particular context, we have a few people that are uh, blind. And so seeing them walk down the aisle and, and receive communion, uh, just seeing the broad spectrum of people come, yep. you know, the newcomer and the person that's been at Good Shepherd for decades, um, and just knowing that everybody is participating together. That's the beauty of, you know, the open table is that everybody's welcome. And so 
uh, that that kind of, you know, I don't know if you have some thoughts on that before I we have one thought about that, too. It was interesting you mentioned um, how we have uh, differently abled individuals in our congregation. I also think what's magical is when you bring the table to someone and and how how key that is in the sense of belonging, that it's not always you put in 100% of the effort to belong, but but we bring the belonging to you sometimes. Yeah. And, and there's just something magical about that. I teach confirmation each year. And so we talk about the open table with our teenagers and how they latch on to the beauty of it does not matter where you've been or what you've done. This table is open to you and is being brought to you. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that's really powerful. Yeah. So what, what, how those ideas kind of relate to this creating margin in the kitchen for you know our lives is we sit around the, the kitchen table. And uh, people spend time cooking in the kitchen a lot more during the Advent season, you know, starting oh, Thanksgiving sure. than probably any other time in the year because you're hosting, you know, people are over, you're making these massive meals, these traditional meals, things that you eat every year. You have family that's traveled in town. Uh, can you create margin at the table for the family members that have differences from you. And oh, not man. not just in, oh, you're here and I'm gonna be happy you're here, but in, hey, I actually want to get to know you mm. and I actually wanna put down my phone or I wanna set aside the busyness of the kitchen. And um, yes, Kayla kind of talked about this in her sermon, yes we still need to get the things done. Like, right. <laughs> like we're not going to not have food, uh, but I'm going to create margin somehow. I'm going to be intentional about creating that mm. margin so that I can sit down with that family member that I don't see very often. And in that interaction with them, I'm going to, I'm going to be open to their story and who they are and what they're working through and the things they've experienced in the times that I mm. haven't seen them. Can can we do that? What do you, what do you think about that challenge? How does that sit with you? It makes me laugh when I think about how I mentioned even earlier in this podcast that my sister is an Enneagram 8 and I'm an Enneagram 2 and our personalities do rarely match. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely match up. And so when I mentioned that my family typically has a, a pretty big Thanksgiving, a perk of that is that you don't ever have to really go deep with any person for any length of time that you don't want to, mm. right? There's always someone else to go talk to. You know, there's great grandma sitting over here at the table by herself. And it's like, oh, I'm going to stop this political discussion right here. And I'm going to go check on great. I'm going to go see if she needs a refill on her coffee, mm. you know? Well, I didn't have those extra distractions this year. So it was interesting sitting down and talking to my sister, someone who, you know, technically I grew up my whole life with, but in the last five or six years, have not seen on a regular basis. She's a really busy person. I'm a really busy person. She's been away at college. I'm working full time and in grad school. And so having this day, like I spent the night at my parents. So really this day and a half where it was undiluted family time yeah. with me and this person who do not always get along or rarely gets along was was kind of interesting when you talk about creating space for for differences and um having this table where I really had to engage in some of those differences. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, ch it's a challenge. Um, and it's a practice too. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we get better as we do it more and more. We, 
you know, become more aware of the things that are happening as we do it more and more. Um, one of the things I was I was thinking about, uh, you know, to to expand this conversation past the you know Christmas, the Advent season, mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving kitchen uh, table is, uh, but keeping it at the table and within the kitchen is. I, I know growing up, there were times when my family would sit around the table, mm-hmm. uh, but there were times when, you know, certain stages in life when we didn't practice it as much. And, you know, for those of you who have multiple kids, and I know a few people in my life that have, you know, three plus kids. Right. It is really hard. But if you've ever done it, or you intentionally say, no, we're going to sit down we're going to eat food. We're going to put the distractions away. Turn off the TV. We're going to create that margin. And then you ask your kid, hey, how are you actually doing? Like, mm. I can see your grades whenever I want. I go to your games and I watch how you perform. Um, I can see all these other things. But like, how, how's it going? Like, tell me, like, what are you what are you dealing with? What are you navigating? It, that could create a much deeper level of relationship with your kid mm-hmm. that you know is more important i'm gonna maybe say something challenging here but i don't have kids myself so uh that, that's my <laughs> context so yep. uh, maybe this is ignorant but that relationship is going to be more important than whatever grades or success they have amen that's going to serve them more if you actually create that margin and maybe you get to a point where if your kids are teenagers and they're like i don't want to sit and talk to my dad or my mom um or you know my parent um do it anyway it's like Mm -hmm. do the practice force yourself to force is kind of maybe a strong word uh but challenge yourself to i guess is maybe a less strong word try it Mm. create that margin at the kitchen in the kitchen at the table um whether it's you know in this holiday season or just in your everyday and maybe you'll find things happen, relationship grows in ways you never thought it would. I think that's interesting because um, one of the the bullet points that, that I really wanted to talk about today was making space for honesty. Mm. And when you ask those questions, how are you doing really? Like not just fine, not just okay. No, like engage with me. Tell me like the good and the bad and the ugly. Tell me all of it. When we make space for honesty, we create way more belonging than we do when we just stay on these surface level topics. And so um, I think maybe a practice for for parents that I don't have children either, but I do work with teenagers every single day. And, and the best thing that I can give advice on is to just be honest with them and to be vulnerable with them. And so when you are honest and you reflect that and then they pick up on it and engage with it too, then they're more willing and more likely to be honest with you as well. And when we create space for being our true and authentic selves, then we reach we reach this depth in our relationships that I think we sometimes miss out on when you just look at the highlight reels or you just talk about the good things or your successes and achievements. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and when I think about, you know, uh, we're, Krista and I are at a stage where um, you know, we're, we've had some conversations about, you know, what the future might look like in having mm-hmm. kids, but right now we don't. And right now we're building the practices that are going to, you know, help us be better parents in the future. I sometimes when we're sitting around eating dinner, 
will immediately, as soon as I finish my plate, which I eat really fast because I was a high school teacher for two years, <laughs> and now it is wired, hardwired into my brain, and it will take so much work to unwire eating fast because mm-hmm. I only got like 20 minutes and uh, half of that time I ate and the other half I checked emails. So I eat really fast. And so within 10 minutes, I'm done with my meal and immediately I'm getting up and trying to do my dishes and <laughs> And Krista will say, I'm still eating. We're still eating. And so it's this, okay, I don't need to get everything done, which the sermon uh, around the kitchen was was centered around the story of Mary and Martha and, you know, uh, Mary choosing to sit at Jesus' feet, Mary choosing their relationship and kind of setting aside some of the tasks. Um, and, And so I just think about that and how all that connects. It's how do we create that margin and we build those practices, you know, in our everyday. And then when it comes to the Advent season, the Thanksgiving time, you know, here, this year, next year, the following year, um, we're just practicing and practicing and getting better at creating that margin so that we can have those meaningful, special moments with people that we actually do love. Absolutely. I want to ask you something. Yes. So uh, I'm so glad that you shared that story um, and that you were kind of vulnerable about something that you do and what what it looks like to have dinner at your house. When you get up immediately after finishing eating and you start to do your dishes, what message do you think that that communicates to Krista? That what this was about was eating food. Yeah, right? Or that that I we've we're done eating and so anything else that was going to happen here is just not that important. Yeah. Um and and I think we do that so unintentionally all the time because mm-hmm. you don't mean that. No. You don't mean that you don't want to sit and talk with your wife and and engage and talk about your days in the in the future. It's just this natural progression of tasks in your brain, right? Yeah. And so I I think about that um in my Thanksgiving dinner and how my mom immediately is like, she finishes cooking. She's been in the kitchen all day and she's like, okay, it's time to eat. And then she will make sure that she is the last person to make the, her own plate because mm. she wants to communicate to everybody that they're important and that she did this for them. And this is the gift. But I think we do that and we can unintentionally create harm in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I am really cognizant about in the holiday season, especially when we have all of these days that are centered around these meals um, and all of these days that are um, centered around these these certain plates and, and dishes and meals is um, I have a lot of people in my life who struggle with disordered eating. Mm. Um, and even the way that we talk about it and the language that we use when we consider food, it, is a way that we can marginalize people or, you know, push people aside and not create space to be with them in the margin um, is when we say things like, oh man, like after eating all of this, I have to go run five miles tomorrow or I have to go work out or I can only eat this amount of mashed potatoes or I'm going to pay for it, whatever. And and when we, when we use that language around food, not only are we communicating that we think our image or the numbers on the scale or the size of our clothes is more valuable than this mm. time that we have together at the table. We are also communicating to the people around us that that should be a value of theirs too, mm. that they should also recognize that their weight or how they look is more important than this time together. And so we're setting these expectations 
and for other people. And so we have to watch what we do and what we say because that communicates our values to other people. Yeah. Um, whenever we were talking about, you know, this, this idea of the table and you brought that up, um, it, it really, it was challenging to me Mm. because it wasn't my natural thought is not only how do we create margin for, uh, different people, um, but how do we in our intentionality create space for every person Mm -hmm. that's dealing with, with, you know, different struggles. So I guess to kind of unpack this a little bit more, because I, I know that this is something that um, you've thought about, have some passion about and yeah. have, have some care for, I guess maybe the question is, is how does margin mm-hmm. and the way we're talking about margin, how does that speak to or relate to the person struggling with an eating disorder yeah. or um, struggling with body image? What does what the creation of margin look like in terms of helping them feel accepted welcome valued I guess maybe if you can unpack that a little bit I would love to um so I think about this story of Mary and Martha and as a woman this story has been preached to me my whole life right um it's what all these women's bible studies are defined as and we all want to strive to be Mary's but we live in this Martha world I think that's a bible study my mom was a part of how to be a Mary in a Martha world Mm. and I think about Martha in the kitchen and and running around and trying to do all of these things and trying to create a space for other people, right? And feeling frustrated and feeling angry. And maybe this is me projecting, but maybe feeling anxious and -hmm. overwhelmed and distressed. And she didn't have space to bring that to the table because that's not what the table was designed for in this particular story, right? We have Jesus who's teaching and who's sharing stories. We have people who are laughing and drinking and, and being married together. And here is Martha in the kitchen, feeling all of her feelings and not believing that she has a place to bring that to the table. Mm. And so when I think of disordered eating, um, when I think about how women in particular, but men as well, and and non-binary individuals and, and whoever, just humans, have this struggle of, of body image and what I'm supposed to look like and am I allowed to bring that to the table? Is there permission to engage with this? And I'm not talking about on you know Thanksgiving Day that I'm going to sit down and start telling my family about you know my history with disordered eating, but is there space? Am I allowed to bring this to the table? And will you meet with me in the margin? Mm. Right? I feel like I'm on the outside. I feel like I'm in this limbo space. And are you willing to meet with me in that margin. And so so what does it look like to be honest with each other in the kitchen? What does it look like to be honest with each other to create this belonging that you can bring, you know, <laughs> I think about the idea of when you come to the church, we say you can leave your baggage at the door. I think that's garbage. Yeah. I think what would it look like to bring your baggage in and have space to unpack it Mm. and have space to take the stuff out of the backpack and have someone sit with you. They don't even have to touch the backpack, but just be with you while you are unpacking this. No one's looking for you to solve it. There are no magical words that are going to make an eating disorder or body dysmorphia or different things go away, but to just sit and be present with people. And what does that look like 
in the Advent season when we're supposed to be merry and bright and deck the halls and super happy all the time. What does it look like to invite honesty to exist in this place? So so, uh, this this is the word that came up as you were talking. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. That's very, uh, it's the vulnerability um, and the openness and honesty it takes to talk about that stuff. Um, it, it, and that's really, really huge. And so I appreciate you yeah. sharing that. The, the word that came up is expectations. Yep. Expectations uh, crowd out margin. Mm. And when we have these expectations of, no, these are the only things we talk about. Mm. Or these are the only things we do. Yep. Or these are the only things you can bring up. It's like, no, no. Sometimes we need to let go of the expectations mm. to then create that margin to invite the person that is dealing with whatever mm-hmm. X in, in the case of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the person dealing with body image and eating disorders. Letting them bring that to the table. Mm-hmm. It's really important. And that goes back to the open table and the idea of who was at the table mm-hmm. at the Last Supper the, the expectations seem to have been dropped. Yeah, for Jesus that did not hold back, right? Yeah. He was, Jesus brought honesty to the table. Like, you guys don't deserve this, but this is still my body that is broken for you. Yeah. This is my blood that I shed for you, knowing that Peter is going to betray me or Peter's going to deny me, that Judas is going to betray me, that Thomas is going to doubt me. Like, I'm giving this to you anyway. I'm creating space for this despite everything else that might be true. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Uh, I, I say that we uh, end on that really powerful Ooh, note. And yes. <laughs> uh, we also wanted to uh, take the opportunity to survey the congregation and just hear from you. And we're going to do this every week. Uh, so we asked a question on a few of our social medias. Uh, what has made you feel like you belong? And the one that stuck out to me was somebody talked about Girl Scouts mm-hmm. and how the be- you feel this belonging in Girl Scouts. And uh, what I thought about was one of the things that helps you feel belonging is that you learn the practices of a scout and then you do those things together with other people. Rituals can be really beneficial in helping people feel belonging right. if they learn them, if you're open to teach them. One of the things that uh, Krista's family on her dad's side, her grandparents on that side, they do as they sing this song uh, that goes, oh, the Lord is good to me. And, and so, so I thank, thank the Lord. Lord. I don't sing very well, so that probably sounded horrible. But uh, <laughs> I, when I learned that and felt like I was a part of it, it, you know, it was this ritual that could easily have made me feel like an outsider. Uh, but when I learned it and uh, you know, started doing it with them. It's, it's, you know, you feel that sense of belonging because they're like, yes, I, I know the thing. So, uh, rituals can be very tricky Absolutely. because rituals can be exclusive, excluding. Um, if you're intentional about teaching people about them that you notice don't know them mm. and explaining it and then bringing them in, then they can do the ritual quote unquote and feel that belonging. So that was one that stuck out to me. Did you have one response that stuck out to you? 
Yeah. Well, so we also, we talked about Girl Scouts and this ties in as well, but we also talked about sororities and fraternities. I have some students who have gone off to college and who have joined um, these organizations and who have found families. I think about even like the phrases like big and littles and, and grand bigs and all of these, this language that we've created around um, these family-like structures and sororities. And one of the things that I think is, is really key in the Greek life and Girl Scouts and family structures and different clubs or organizations is that we have values and we have clear values. And what happens when we break down those values for people and um, people can choose to identify with those values or they can choose to find an organization that better identifies with their values. And so when we come together on these basic principles, um, how we can create belonging in that. I think about church on Sunday morning and I know that I have a lot of disagreements probably with a lot of people, but we come together because we believe in Jesus and that he died for us and that we believe that we have love and acceptance here despite mm. those differences. Yeah, those those values, when you kind of establish those and they can create the margin yeah. for, okay, now let's do the work. We have the the values that have defined who we are. Mm -hmm. And now with those values in tow, we can go do the work. I love that. So yeah, we just, uh, we think it's it's fun to just get to hear how you all have experienced belonging and you'll see those questions pop up throughout the coming weeks. Yeah, please engage. Uh, yeah, We'd for sure. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much, Becca, for joining on this episode. And uh, our hope is that uh, this series would be helpful for you and that the Advent season would be transformed for you and you would experience beauty and goodness in a new way. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>